Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook. I'm your host, Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist with the Arizona Republic and Billy Robb's dad. We're very excited today to have our first guest ever on the, on the podcast, John Robb. Hi, good to be here. John is uh, a public defender and my older brother. And uh, let's see, he graduated from ASU uh, in economics in 2005 and went to ASU Law, graduated uh, with a law degree in 2010. And after that, moved to Portland. Yep. Uh, worked as a public defender for how many years? Um, I was at the public defender's office um, for about five years. And now you are in a private practice. Correct. Been doing that since last summer. Cool. And then uh, all kinds of, so let's go back to kind of why you got into criminal defense in the first place. You know, you're a lawyer studying law. There's all kinds of law you could have gone into. What drew you to criminal defense and then specifically to be a public defender? Well, I think when when I started law school, um, I think um, that um, a um, 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 criminal defense was the one type of lie I would have told you I would not have done, <laughs> um, and, and I think that was for a variety of of, of reasons. Um, um, but I think kind of first and foremost is I thought if you committed a crime and you are caught and you should be punished. And that's just sort of how our culture works. Uh -huh. That's how we, we operate successfully is if you choose to commit a, a crime, you ought to be caught and punished for it. Uh -huh. and I, I didn't really have any particular motivation to be involved in representing people who are charged with, with, with crimes. I think that was, and this is still a, a pretty common way for, for people to think about that. Um, is that why? Why would you defend a criminal? Like, why would you defend somebody who's committed a a um, crime? Uh -huh. um, so I, I um, worked at the um, at the at the at the at the Goldwater um, Institute um, both before and during law school, um, and I think that sort of public interest, sort of political libertarian public interest law was was really what I wanted to 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 do. Um, and I had an um, externship uh, with a, a um, Mar Maricopa County Circuit Court judge um, in between my second and third year of law school. And I had the option, I could choose a judge on a civil, criminal, or family law docket. Um, and I um, spe uh, specifically chose um, um, a, um, um, a, 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 a civil judge. Mm -hmm. Um, because I didn't want to do criminal, didn't want to do family. Um, and I got, um, 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 uh, judge, um, 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 Larry Grant, who was a former public defender from Detroit, a uh, former, um, 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 public defender here and was on a, a civil rotation, um, but was sort of so well known with the, um, uh, both the, um, criminal defense community and the, um, Mar Maricopa County, uh, um, attorneys, that a lot of criminal stuff ended up flowing into his courtroom. Um, so I, I, I spent the summer there, sort of watching civil and 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 criminal stuff back to back, and realized two things. Uh, one one of the big things I realized was that civil law was incredibly boring. <laughs> um, criminal law was was not boring. Um, and I, I remember there was a particular trial that was in, in front of Judge Grant's courtroom. It was a um, um, burglary trial. And I, I can't remember the, the exact 
situation, but the the defendant, um, the defendant's lawyer um, had provided clothes for him um, so that he would look nice during the trial or something like that. Um, and, and Judge Grant allowed them to keep the clothes in the judge's chambers, and, and he would come back um, into the chambers and go to the bathroom and change clothes um, before the trial started and then after um, it was done for the day. So I got to, I don't remember exactly how much I interacted with the defendant. It wasn't a whole lot, but I, I got to sort of see this person as a person um, and then see the trial. Um, and I, and I, I, I realized that, that some, of my some of my conceptions about criminals and what I had thought of as people who are criminals um, wasn't necessarily accurate. Um, and that the practice of criminal law um, was far more interesting than anything else I, I could do. And that's going to be a theme from just from for me knowing you is that shift you've gone through. I remember before getting into law school, you were a libertarian and you're a very free market, no government involvement and, and had that mindset. And just knowing you throughout the years, uh, I don't know if it's been living in Portland or um, practicing public public defense, but you definitely changed a little bit on that. How would you describe your political views right now? Um, I'm a re registered, registered Democrat right now. Um, I was registered independent when I was living here, voted Republican um, primarily. It was sort of the thing if I didn't know the particular candidates, the re, uh, re, the re Republican was the person I would, I'd vote for. Um, now it's the opposite, and I am a registered. Uh, I chose to register as a um, 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 Democrat. Um, and yeah, I remember that evolving specifically. I think I, I voted for Obama in 2012. And I'm not sure I did in 2008. So and and that was right, and I graduated law school in 2010. So that that was sort of the evolution had uh -huh. pretty much concluded by about the 2012 election. And I I remember that that being the moment where I'm like I I'm going to vote for a for for this guy. Did you tell Dad about that? Um, I I don't remember <laughs> if I told Dad about that or not. But that, that I I did not need to be informed. <laughs> the evolution was quite obvious. <laughs> So what do you what do you attribute to that shift? Was it uh, was it simply I guess it's probably a complicated process, but how much so that was uh, 2008. You moved to Portland after you graduated law in 2010? Yeah, I moved to Portland in the summer of 2010. And that clerking when when you did that uh, clerk experience where you saw that firsthand, that was was that the year before you graduated? Yeah, that would have been the summer before. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, what take us through kind of like what life was like a public defender, and and as that as that shift happened from libertarian to being a registered Democrat, um, what kinds of things did you experience, um, and how did that shape your political views? I, I think the biggest thing was getting to know the um, criminal defendants and their their families on a personal level. Um, a, a a line that's often used, and I know Dad has used this, um, has um, um, written it as sort of the, well, if you if you 
the recipe for being a productive, successful member of, um, of, of society is pretty simple. You um, graduate high school. Um, you don't have kids before you get, uh, you, you, um, you, you get uh, uh, married and you acquire and keep a, um, a um, job. And if you can do all three of those things, and I, I might be missing something. Drug use, which, which, sure. which, yeah. which relates very much, I think, to what now, you're, all, what, what you're all, about to talk about. All three of those things. So oh. if you, so the, on the, the, the line is, it, it's, I mean, being a successful member of society and staying out of trouble is very simple. Um, and you just need to, as long as you accomplish those 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 things, um, the statistics say that you are you you are pretty stable, you are pretty well off. Um, and I, in in I guess in the most literal sense possible, that's true. Um, and I don't dispute that that's true. Um, but my experience in, in interacting with with the folks who didn't do that um, led me to realize i think that if you go past sort of the that as in a literal sense and, and dive down into the actual day-to-day lives of of the folks who aren't doing that um there is a lot more complicated stuff going on there um and if in just the life stories of the people that i was representing um leading them to where they were um it was almost a foregone conclusion that they would end up where they were based on things that had happened to them at, when they were children, um, when, when they literally had no control over what was going on. So that there's, there's kind of obstacles there pre-set up, whether it's abuse or um, chaotic home life that, you know, in order to get to graduate from high school, uh, staying out of trouble, waiting until you're married to get kids. There's kind of like things outside of your control growing up that kind of lead you into making those things a lot more difficult than kind of like just just do those things. I'm sure, and, and and vice versa, sort of things outside of my control when I was younger um, that led me to do those things, um, and I had no way of controlling that, um, and and so. It, it it didn't it, it didn't quite make as much sense to me after spending a, a, a couple years um, getting to know the, the the people that I was getting to know and then looking back at, at my own life um, it, it didn't make any sense to me that because I, I had a childhood which was which was very very nice and was cultured to obey the the, the, the rules and to um, pay attention in class and to get my homework done. Although I did that often, <laughs> I, I wasn't wasn't necessarily as as good as doing that last part. But I was raised in a, in a way um, which fit me into the to the culture, um, and and led me to do all of the right things necessary to not do methamphetamine um, and drop out of school. Um, and struggle with homelessness and things like that. Um, and, and my clients um, led lives where if they had not become homeless or not 
become a um, 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 addicted to drugs or, or did other things that that ended up making their lives very very difficult. Um, it, it would have been pretty surprising, frankly, um, based on the experiences that, that they've had. A couple of clarifying observations. Um, simple does not mean easy. Um, and certainly um, it's much more difficult for some people than others based upon the circumstances that you describe. Uh, but it's important to know the formula that works. And one of my objections is that we don't do enough of communicating the formula that works to those who are vulnerable uh, to not succeeding in uh, executing some of them. I, and it is statistically the case that the majority of people who fall into those circumstances uh, do not end up committing serious predatory crime. And I think we need to make a distinction in our criminal justice system between those who commit serious predatory crime and those that violate a variety of other laws that we create to try to create, to try to um, salvage um, social order. I, I would also make the observation that with respect to criminal uh, justice, with respect to the criminal justice system, um, a lot of what you're discussing and experiencing, libertarians share your point of view. I mean, we, we, are, in sure. a, we are in a position now where the libertarian right and the social left are united uh, in believing that uh, the serious punishments that we mete out for what I would call social order violations, and I would draw a distinction between social order violations and serious um, criminal predatory activity, uh, is counterproductive both for society and for the people who find themselves uh, caught up in it. And because they're caught up in serious punishments for social uh, disorder violations, I end up um, making it even more difficult for them to recover the road and uh, follow the pathway that lead to a more successful life. So we're actually in a fairly strange political point uh, where um, a consensus seems to be forming, at least with respect to social disorder criminal violations. Another question might be like, what is what is the government's role in that? Maybe one of the biggest biggest differences. Do you see that? Uh, but John, do you see that uh, that connection that there is maybe some some common ground among, amongst the far left and the and libertarians just about criminal justice? Oh, sure. And I think that the the, the most important thing I think for the government to do initially, um, which in my uh, my my views on this have not changed. Um, is sort of first do no harm. Um, and I think that the way that the uh, justice system is set up right right now um, does do a lot of lasting harm to, to the people that are, are caught up in it. Um, and that there's a lot of, of, of um, criminal laws um, which do 
punish a lot of behavior which is is not necessarily dangerous um, uh, in um, 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 in 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 uh, where I um, um, am a, a lawyer, um, Oregon, uh, for example, has um, uh, theft laws, um, which have, have pretty severe mandatory um, um, mandatory mandatory prison sentences uh, for for people who commit repeat um, felony property of offenses, um, and it, it's it's set up so that. And what a property offense that is at the um, at the felony level can can be can often be factually very minor things. Um, so we have situations where um, somebody has gone into a store like a Target, um, taken some um, items off the shelf, and then and and then gone up to the uh, front to try to return that for money. Um, and that's a um, felony level theft charge there, and if if that person has prior misdemeanor thefts, um, that person might be looking at a mandatory prison sentence um, for exchanging items worth forty dollars. How long might that be? Um, Eighteen months and going up from from there. Um, now the the Multnomah County um, um, DA's office has, has 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 chosen to treat sort of specifically that set of facts um, a little bit differently than other uh, like a burglary or other sorts of charges like like that. But what what the law says is if if I've committed two misdemeanor thefts of um, o over one one um, 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 one 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 hundred dollars. And I return forty dollars worth of stuff. Um, I go to prison for eighteen months. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you put drug charges in that same category of not necessarily harmful to others, and that would that would do them do them harm when maybe they would need or benefit more from a treatment. Yes, and the in Oregon um, with the with the drug charges has has changed one of the most harmful parts of, of them. Um, every in, in um, Arizona, this is still true. Minor po or possession of small amounts of drugs are considered felonies here. Um, Oregon um, had decriminalized marijuana for quite some time, um, but small possessions of small amounts of other types of drugs—cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin—were um, all felonies. Um, so you 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 get a felony conviction. Um, for having having a little crack rock in your pocket and getting frisked walking through downtown Portland, um, and all of a sudden you you can't rent an apartment, you can't get most types of jobs, you can't vote, um, and and that's true for the rest of your life. Um, and Oregon has 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 recently changed those laws in recognition of of that that's just not that's just not a fair thing to happen to you. Um, because you you at one point in your life possessed a small amount of drugs. The public policy question is um, who do we lock up uh, for what and for how long? And I suspect in the abstract, uh, John and I would probably disagree uh, in terms of how we characterize people in terms of that. And certainly there is a robust debate 
about whether we're putting the right people behind bars for the right reasons for the right length of time. In my judgment, uh, that whole debate is hopelessly clouded uh, by the war on drugs. Um, you have those that want to lighten sentences cite the number of people whose sentencing offense was some kind of a drug offense. The prosecutors then respond by saying, well, that was just sort of the final straw. If you look at these people and you look at their criminal histories, uh, you have a lot of non-drug offenses and predatory crimes, and so we're sending the right people to prison. But, of course, um, drugs are uh, a reason why people commit crimes. So uh, I think two things um, in terms of first steps. We need to uh, legalize drugs so that we remove that clouding element in deciding who should go to jail for how long uh, for what. And the second thing we need to do is to begin eliminating some of the barriers that John mentioned about um, putting yourself on the right path if you decide to go on the right path, that you don't keep people from written apartments, you don't keep people from getting jobs. Uh, and um, if you go back to the 1970s when the incapacitation theory of uh, of public safety developed. At that point in time, we didn't have programs um, rehabilitating prisoners that had any kind of track record of working. That's changing. Uh, and obviously, irrespective if you disagree as to when someone ought to go into that system, we ought to make it easy for people to get out of the system. And if there's things that we know work and we're beginning to identify programs that work, investing in that uh, to uh, get people prepared to live in a different kind of life is probably the best investment in public safety that we can uh, do. And uh, we just happen to have a highly conservative governor in the state of Arizona who deeply believes in that and is doing a variety of things to um, help, help inmates soon to be released, uh, uh, fight against falling back into drug addiction, to give them uh, job training, meaningful job training before they get released, uh, to remove barriers to them entering certain occupations by getting rid of the barriers that, uh, the, the ban that exists. Uh, having in state government, um, not asking about a criminal history until after you've made the first cut, and signing these signing inmates just before they get released uh, to Medicaid. So they've got health care, which includes uh, uh, drug treatment uh, if they need it. So I, I think those are kind of the, the two steps yeah. that, that we begin with. And one, one of the issues here in Arizona, we have these programs. Um, people get released. They're, um, they're put into work programs. There's always one... There's a couple of controversial ones, but one of the one of the problems that I see is that uh, they're not. There's no way these programs are going to open up in North Scottsdale, for example. We're not opening up these. We're not sending released prisoners to different locations throughout Phoenix, and there had there, there's not very like 
welcoming reception when, when they do happen necessarily. South Phoenix, um, they're, they're proposing moving one of the newer ones from North, uh, I mean, North Phoenix down to, down to South Phoenix. There are already three or four uh, places there in South Phoenix. Um, I think people would be concerned about inviting released prisoners or job programs into their own neighborhoods. And I think that's maybe one of the, one of the questions I have is, is, is society ready for more of a rehabilitation, forgiveness, even like liberal type approach towards uh, social justice? Are we still in a, are we still in a position? What do you think, John? Are we still in a position where people are trying to punish uh, and want kind of revenge and punishment in our system? Or do you think we're moving more towards um, understanding kind of what you were saying at the beginning of the podcast that, hey, there are like obstacles, challenges people face. Um, we need to kind of support them in getting back on track, and that's possible. Do you think we're going towards that direction, and are there any, any signs that, that that is happening across the country? Uh, I think both things are, are happening. Um, I, I think that there is recognition on, on the right um, that – that some of the ways that the criminal justice system um, deals with with people um, caught up in it um, are are not working, um, and, and that we ought to to, to change that. Um, I also still think that there's this pervasive cultural split, um, meaning that the, the the people in political power and the people that live in North Scottsdale um, fundamentally view that group of people as culturally uh, different from them. Um, they're, they're just different people. We don't want them in our neighborhoods. Um, we, we, we should mitigate some of the public policy uh, choices that we've made that, that are, are hurting them. Um, but f- fundamentally, they're not part of our community. Um, and I think that I think the, the vice versa is, is true. Um, I think that, that some of the some of the reasons why, why, why people in high school that, that live in sort of the poorer parts of um, Portland, the poorer parts of Phoenix um, that are Hispanic, that are black, um, they, they have experienced um, an alienation from, from the culture that's, that's making the, the laws. Um, so there's this, there's this feeling that why, why would I want to become part of this culture um, that spent so much time um, enacting policies that are extremely harmful to, to me, um, to my, my family, and to the people that I, that I know? Um, so I think there's this cultural barrier um, that's, that's, that, that's present on, 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 on both sides um, that's been pervasive from the time that white people first came into the um, into into the United States um, and I think that 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 continues and I think that that ultimately will be the the, the, the biggest barrier to, um, to to some of the deep pervasive problems actually being solved and, and I don't I don't see the divisions as uh, that stark. I mean, social order and public safety is something that all people want. Um, I think uh, we want a criminal justice system that serves to punish and incapacitate as a contribution. Um, Where there is, I think, 
robust discussion uh, and opportunity uh, to make sensible reforms is the question of uh, whether some of the investments that we're making in some of our policies are counterproductive and wasteful. And most importantly, I believe that there's robust opportunity um, for action and consensus on being a true second chance society um, where uh, we um, provide pathways for people to turn their lives around and become productive. There is no question a social stigma that continues to exist about being a place where the latter occurs. Green in my neighborhood. Well, no, let's go have that happen in someone else's neighborhood. Uh, but I think that is in the process of, of changing. Uh, and certainly the sort of job training centers that um, are the point of controversy that you mentioned, uh, I don't think are high-risk activities. Um, South Phoenix is protesting against them. Um, but um, an awful lot of the support services that released inmates need uh, are in low-income neighborhoods. Um, so there's actually a logical reason to locate them there rather than a place where those social services are more difficult to obtain and they'd have to go to South Phoenix to get them anyway. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can sort of get beyond the stigma uh, mm -hmm. and talk about where does it make sense to locate what is in reality a fairly low-risk activity. And when you're, con when you're concentrating that at all at one place, you tend to kind of attract and find some way to, um, you kind of like concentrating that rather than dispersing it and, and allowing for that support. I know I, I but, 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 but I don't know that concentration of those kind of support services is bad. I mean, we, we have concentration of all sorts of things makes it more convenient. Yeah, I think there's definitely a convenience at, at one level, maybe um, just going back to the cultural divide, maybe it helps um, solidify that cultural divide. As a way of, a way of transition, speaking of a cultural divide, we've got a president right now pretty much waging a cultural war, and there's no... I think I'm gonna get, <laughs> I'm gonna get ganged up against. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's any clear example of this cultural divide that John you mentioned than the whole flag um, patriotism thing, you know, Black Lives Matter uh, movement, um, organically coming up uh, on the internet mainly as uh, as a response to. Uh, viral videos happening of white police officers shooting uh, black suspects uh, during traffic stops. Um, and Colin Kaepernick last year um, started, he was actually just sitting down uh, one day, got caught on camera, uh, sitting down, they asked him about it, he said, no, it's a protest. And actually the kneeling came from, he, he talked to military people and said, hey, I wanna, I wanna make a statement, what's the most respectful way I could also make a statement? They said, they said kneeling. But that's kind of um, turned into a cultural war, Trump saying that that's disrespecting the flag. And so we have this whole kind of national conversation um, about, patriotism, about uh, race relations, about uh, criminal criminal justice. So from your experience working, John, in the um, 
you know, just in the trenches of, of uh, you know, being a public defender, defending the poorest uh, of the poor here. From your experience, uh, is there an injustice in the, um, in the, in the criminal justice system? Are minorities treated uh, differently? Um, and if so, what, what could be done? What would you propose to be done to make those corrections? I mean, I think on an, an, an anecdotal level, I, the, the answer that I would give is, is overwhelmingly yes. Um, I think I'm not um, intimately familiar with the um, stats, um, a, a analysis that, that has been done, but I think this is pretty clearly shown um, at, at that level, too, that there is, there is a disparate impact um, that the criminal justice system has on um, communities of, um, um, of the um, minority communities. Um, and, and, and I think that's pervasive, and I think that that will continue um, as, and I think a, a, a big contributing factor to that is the fact that if you um, are convicted of a, of a, of a, of a, of a of a felony, um, you can't vote, um, and I and I suspect that that was that was done d d d um, um, liberally at, at 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 some point. I remember reading about about that, but I, I don't recall off offhand um, exactly what the history of that was. Um, so you you have these communities of, of color that are disproportionately likely to be convicted of um, felony crimes, um, and and you have whole groups of people that now officially can't vote. Um, so you you have an entire groups of of people um, communities um, that, in addition to having their their fathers and brothers and husbands taken away from them for large periods of of uh, time, um, that that are now formally no longer a part of the um, democratic society that, that we live in. Um, and and that, that's been going on for, for decades. Um, so I think this, as at a public policy level in a um, democratic society, um, when, when you are e eliminating the formal ability to, to have your, your voice heard in, in that, um, and the, the impacts of that are disproportionately falling on specific groups, um, regardless of any other factors, which, which there are a lot of, um, including wealth. Um, but even re aside from that, there's just this institutional um, degradation of the ability for, for these groups um, to, to have a, a voice. And that's more of a... Um Maybe more of a macro level, like vote, like uh, voting rights that impacting policy in the immediate and, and, and long term. Um, what about like on on the ground level? We're talking like traffic stops, sentencing. Uh, do you see any differences there, or ways that prosecutors um, or cops uh, take advantage of that? It, it's a really complicated question. I think that what the data shows, um, and I, I, I know in Multnomah County there, there's been some there's, there's some dispute about the data and releasing of the uh, data, but the um, as, as far as traffic stops, I think in, uh, across the country that's a lot higher. 
um, in the suburb of, of St. Louis, you, you, you had sort of a, an overt finding that um, the if, if, if you were black in that community, you were far more likely to get stopped, you are far more li- likely to get fined. Um, I, I, I know that in Multnomah County, there's, there's a large group of, of people who have these outstanding um, bills to the local to the Multnomah County um, for for traffic fines, for court fees, and things like that. And there are homeless people who owe tens of thousands of dollars to to the court. Um, and and there are are people who who don't have their um, a, a valid um, license, a valid 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 driver's license because they they owe court money um and and it 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 it's become a situation where they they now owe far more money than they could ever hope to to pay um so they're excluded from the ability to to drive and there, there's all sorts of different things like that the, there's no question that um people of color get caught up in the criminal justice system disproportionate to their percentage of the population. Um, the question is that due to institutional racism, um, and I'll get to Trump in a moment, but um, or is it due to the fact that you're more likely to get law enforcement attention in high crime areas, and high crime areas have larger proportions of people of color uh, in them? Uh, and I think it's the allegation that it's due to institutional racism um, that leads to the ability of Trump uh, to run on against political correctness. And I believe that was a significant factor uh, in uh, his election. So the failure to, to um, differentiate between an outcome that has a logical explanation in terms of more law enforcement attention in high crime areas versus um, evil racist um, law enforcement officials. We, we've, I, I think that the last part that John identified is another opportunity for consensus reform. And uh, the courts here are looking at the question of not relying so much on fines as punishments uh, because of the inability of poor people to pay them, and then the punishment no longer becomes the fine. The punishment becomes the opportunities that you're denied uh, because you uh, owe those things. Uh, and I may be mistaken about this, but I think in most states, uh, people with uh, felonies who have served their time can apply to have all of their civil rights restored, including the right to vote, that it's only a handful of states uh, that ban um, felons from uh, ever voting. But I think this is another place where there could be a consensus, a sense that when you've turned your time, you've paid your debt, you should be restored as we begin trying to create pathways to a better better life uh, for people that have fallen on the wrong side of the law at one point in time. Yeah, and, and um, there there is the uh, ability to restore rights, um, and and I mean a big part of, of, of that is ha- having a lawyer walk you through that process, 
um, and, and the so the, there is barriers to to do that. I, I would favor um, it being automatic. That yeah, as as part of the second chance society, that among the things is when you've served your time, um, you get all of your rights back, uh, including the right to vote. And um, something that I think the left has done a bad job about, as far as um, what. Um, it, um, institutional racism is, is sort of articulating that because I, I don't think that anybody, I, 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 I do think that there are racist cops out there. I do think that there are racist judges out there, race, racist, um, racist, racist, racist prosecutors. Um, but I, I don't think that's the problem of institutional racism. I think that's the problem of individual racists doing bad things. Um, and I, I think that that's not a, a, a incredibly pervasive problem. I, I, I know lots of cops, lots of um, um, judges, lots of 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 of, of prosecutors. Um, and and there I, I haven't run across a virulent racist in any of those groups. Um, but I I I do think um, that I live in a city um, in, in in which if I am black and I'm driving in a certain part of town um, I'm probably going to get pulled over um, be, be, because there are groups of Portland police who are who are specifically driving through my my neighborhood, um, who are who are trained to regard me as highly dangerous, um, and are trained um, that I am likely to be carrying guns, um, and they are are trained that to keep the um, community safe. Um, they need to pull me over and search me and take the gun that I have if I have it. Um, so you you have entire neighborhoods of uh, where I live, um, in w which are consistently being patrolled by by highly organized teams um, of armed cops um, who are who are strategically um, trying to pull people over for minor traffic violations, um, looking for reasons to to search the vehicle. Um, because they are, are are trained as as the, the they are trained that that's that's what it takes to keep their community safe. Um, so I think that that's what in 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 and we're spending in the the city of Portland is spending a lot of money doing that. Um, and I I and and we as a sort of a national community are not spending. Um, as much time or, or 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 money trying to do the types of things um, to make it easy for people in that those communities to live normal day to day lives. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that is what institutional racism is: is the the, the fact that um, police officers are trained and target specific areas. Um, which historically um, are poor and black. And I think that's something that's happening across the entire country. We need to, if we're going to deal with these disproportionate consequences um, dispassionately, um, we need to come up with a term other than racism because racism is an evil of the heart. That's that's if, if the word is going to retain any meaning and have a sting uh, that it should have, uh, it's not disproportionate consequences. It begins with evil in the heart. 
And as long as that's the term that's used, um, uh, you're not going to get a sensible conversation about uh, how we change policy, and you will continue, continue to elect people like Trump uh, who exploit being accused of evil in your heart. Yeah, it might be a PR problem with, with the term. I think whatever you, whatever you call it, there are problems that, that need to be addressed. And I think uh, some commentary I, you know, I'm reading and, and hearing is the parallel with the opioid crisis right now. You know, you've got a crack epidemic and it's, it's cause for, you know, crackdown with cops and, and long prison sentences. You've got an opioid epidemic that's more likely to affect, um, you know, a, a white or more upper class you know, type folks, and it's like, oh, this is a health, this is a health crisis. So let's let's throw a lot of a lot of money on uh, on treatment. And, and, and if you describe it that way, um, people who want to legalize drugs like me would say both should be treated as a health problem. Right. If you say the reason why that discrepancy exists uh, is racism, mm -hmm. evil in people's hearts. Um, I think that's a conversation stopper. Yeah, you can't you can't know you can't know someone's heart when it when it comes to that or the intentions of you know how these laws were created in the first place. Um, but I think just to me when I hear you know Trump attacking um, attacking representatives that like Colin Kaepernick that speak out or other um, black athletes who decide to kneel for that is like let's listen to their experience. You know, you can, you can sit up there in your Trump tower and judge them for what they feel, but like that's what they're experiencing on the, on the ground. And I think just being able to have a constructive conversation about that, I mean, call it, call it whatever you want, but um, there's, there are inequalities and, and injustices that I think are worth, what worth I'm addressing. Saying, uh, what you call it, affects the conversation you're subsequently going to have. Right. What would you call it, John? I don't know what, what phrase I would, I would put on it, but I, I think that the sort of inequality of, 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 of wealth um, and, and more pervasively any inequality of market power um, be, be, between the, the owners of, of, of wealth and the, the, the people that, that, that work for wages um, is a is the most pervasive problem in in the United States, probably in in the world, um, and and all of that, all of what we're describing as institutional racism, or we should use a different phrase. I think ultimately all ties back to that. I think that we've had public policy decisions that have been can, can, um, can, can, um, consistently made in the, the country, and I think the um, ed, um, administration currently is is going to be making these um, a lot more, um, degrading the, the market power of, of workers and in increasing the market power of shareholders. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that, it's a, that, that is, that's ultimately at the root of all of this. So that maybe attacks all, uh, all the rest. That probably takes us into a different, uh, a different topic. Yeah, I, I would just make the observation that the poor in America, in terms of mil of material well being, uh, live better than ninety nine percent of all the people who've ever lived throughout human history. So, it's a system that is um, 
lifted more people out of poverty uh, than uh, any other that humans have ever experimented with. So, John, um, we could take this other topic to maybe uh, maybe uh, in the summer or next Christmas, whenever you, whenever you come back. Uh, I'm sure we could talk about this for a long time. Um, but let's sort of just wrap it up here for this podcast episode. Uh, John, what politicians are you looking around the map right now? Are you, are you a Bernie bro or like what? Who, who out there is inspiring you right now? I haven't really seen one. Um, I, I think that the, that the people who have been inspiring me most recently um, who have been public figures, not necessarily political, um, but are, are, are acting in a more political way recently. Um, the um, Pope is one of them. Um, the um, 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 Dalai, Dal, 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 Dalai Lama, um, um, Thich Nhat Hanh, and and, and what, what I haven't seen is is overtly political figures, a la, a la Martin Luther King, um, who are who are are taking some of the um, some of the um, of the essence of the um, um, interconnectedness, um, spirituality, and, and sort of bringing that into the political sphere. Um, and, and I haven't seen that on the left or the right. Hmm. Um, and and I, I think that that's the that's the biggest opportunity uh, for for a um, political actor to 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 use, um, and I'm I'm seeing a lot of divisiveness and a lot of anger on both the the, the left and the right. I'm not seeing um, somebody who's, who's 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 saying what 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 Martin Luther King did is we need to we need to come together, um, we need to live in, in peace, and we need to be not be violent. Um, Anyone that comes close, or any uh, any prospects that that encapsulate that? Maybe not, not not that come right off the top of my head, and, and I haven't I haven't really been not that come out at me now. Mm. And I my view is that uh, one ought, ought not to look to politics or government for inspiration or solutions. That's the virtue of a limited government free society well um thanks for thanks for listening uh we hope that maybe there are some inspiring politicians that we I think we see we definitely see trends and, and counter responses maybe the the pendulum swing away from trump will be a more kind of moral political uh bringing everyone together sort of thing that that draws people together Thank you very much, John, for joining us. Merry Christmas. It was great to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and have a happy uh, happy New Year. Um, the Political Notebook is now on Facebook as well. So we have a Facebook page. If you want to like it, see, um, see updates and posts and things like that. Thanks for tuning in.